Lord, and we cling to that assurance. Lord, we cling to you today. Lord, as we praise and continue to praise you, Lord, whether on a mountain or in a valley, Lord, I pray that we cling to you. Your name is the heart. 
to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity
Good morning, everybody. It is Jersey Sunday. I see a lot of you representing your jerseys today. That's awesome. It's my favorite time of year. Not everybody can have the blood of Jesus red as their color. And uh, I guess we're just God's team. I'm looking over here to some Steelers fans. God's team. 
And uh, listen, don't check your personality when you come to church. We can have some fun together. Uh, we are excited that you're here, whether you're online, on campus, outside, inside, wherever you're at. We're stoked that you are with us today. If you're new to our church, I must tell you that last week we made an announcement. Every year we, uh, we, we pick one team that's no longer welcome at our church. That is the Philadelphia Eagles this year. And you might go, man, that's kind of harsh for the first week. And I understand that, but understand this, it's only for this year. So you're welcome back, uh, 2024. Come right back and hang out with us. But uh, until then, happy worship to you all. And uh, yeah, man, it's I got my shoes on, my 49er shoes, my 49er socks. It is a great day. We are glad that you are hanging out with us. And so, uh, thank you for representing and coming and 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 holding your team loud and proud. What a great day! Opening day, I love it. It's my favorite ever. All right, I have some friends with me today. I think I have some friends. Come on out. We are uh, we are trying to. Yeah, I saw your hat. Thank you very much. Put that thing away. All right, and so <laughs> we have so we this time of year, every year, and really three times a year, try to encourage our church to jump in a group. Uh, we call them growth groups. We believe that the, much of the growth, the spiritual growth of your life, is going to happen in one of these groups. And so we ask you to go from attending a church to being the church, and our vehicle for that is growth groups. And so we have Kristen Lewis with us today. This is really cool because we've been praying about this for a while. This is a group that's starting on the base, Point Magoo. If you know, if you're a base family or you know a base family, we are starting a group for uh, uh, families at our church that also are involved with our base. It's going to meet on Saturday nights from 5 to 7 p.m., Kristen is going to be leading that group and you need to be involved in it. So we're super excited about that and we're super excited about the other groups that are available for you to jump in. Again, to go from attending a church to being the church in one of these group vehicles. So what I want you to do afterwards today, after our gathering, hit outside before you go home and see your game, make sure you hit the table and let Lisa tell you what she thinks would be the best group for you to connect with you and your family. We believe in these so much. I don't know if you know this, but our church underwrites childcare or the majority of the cost of childcare so that we could do groups and yet families could still be a part of it without being worried about the concern of distractions with their little ones. So we actually do childcare on our campus to facilitate that. That's how important it is to us. We would love to see you and your family in a group. Now, lastly, there are other people out there. We've gotten like six new groups this session. We need more groups and God might be calling you to lead a group. And if that's the case, please talk to Lisa. We'd love to train you and start a new group because there's more people in our church who need to be connected together. We need you to, uh, we need somebody to know your name and know your need and be praying for you. And we need you, not only for you, but you need to be the church as well. You need to know somebody's name and know their needs so you can pray with them. So give a hand for Christian. Make sure she's not alone on Saturday nights at Point Magoo. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, by the way, she'll be outside if you want to meet her and make sure she's not weird. Concern that I would have, I know. And so you can meet her out at the, at the table. And if she's weird, don't join. But she's not weird, so we don't have to worry about that. She would be weird if she wouldn't be a 49er fan. But from what I hear... She's a 49er fan. So with that, let's get started. Hey, years ago, I think I've mentioned before that my daughter was born premature. Uh, she was 10 weeks premature. Not something that we're shy about talking about. She was 2.4 ounces when she was born. My wedding ring could fit up her arm and around her the curve of her shoulder. That 
ring right there. That's how tiny she was. She was smaller than a beanie baby. Um, she spent the first month of her life in a NICU, uh, which is like the intensive care unit for little babies when they come out. Uh, don't worry about it. She's fine now. She's 18 years old. And, uh, and for the majority, so so kind of like ill effects of this thing. So um, <laughs> that's funny in my brain. Anyway, um, Anyway, so as anybody has a baby, you know what you want to do is you want to show the thing off. That's why you have the baby, right? And like, look, everybody who had a baby, you know, type of thing. Well, she spent the first month of her life in a NICU, so we couldn't show off the baby. I mean, you got all the stuff from the onesies you want to show. I had like a 49er onesie that I was going to put her in. You know, all these things that we, you know, the baby carries, it transforms and does things. You know, the baby seat, the pack and play that you bought. Just for, You want to show the world these things, and yet we didn't have necessarily the ability to show anything because she was still in the hospital hospital for the first month of her life. So somebody could actually come up to us and say, yeah, sure, you had a baby. I don't believe it. I've never seen it. I mean, somebody could say that. We, what would we do? So I, what I did is I took video and I'd go to the, I would go to the NICU and I'd videotape things. And, and then I was, you know, I was a youth pastor, so I could edit videos on my computer. So I'm editing. And of course, I'm, you know, censoring whatever I need to censor. And, and, and I'm making this video and I'm like, now I can show people I have an actual baby. Like, it's real. Like, she is. She's an actual person. And I would take this CD-ROM. Uh, for those of you young folks, it's like this round disc thing. And then you would put it into a drive in your computer. What's a drive? Never mind. And so we take it around, and I, and I burned it so it could be a, a, you know, a DVD player could play it or a computer could play it. And I was showing everybody, you want to see my baby? Look, and let's watch this video. You want to see my baby? Look, watch this video. I was showing all these people, and you would be surprised to know. This is will shock you. But it got mixed reviews. It really did. It got mixed reviews. Like there, I mean, I'm sitting there going, this is my baby. Look, I, I promise I had a baby. She's real. And, and, and you know, and let, let me show you. And then some people would watch that video and they'd be in tears. Some people watch that video and they just couldn't process what they were seeing. You see, when Audrey was as big as my hand and 2.4 ounces, she also was attached to about six different cords. They literally had to throw, fling over your shoulder to hold her like this. You'd have this big cord thing that'd be over your shoulder. Now, I viewed that as these cords are keeping her alive. Now, they were monitoring from her liver to her oxygen intake to her heart beating, everything. And, and there'd be dings that would happen in that NICU and be like, ding, 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 ding. And I'd be like, hey, we're dinging, we're dinging. And there were some dings where the, where the NICU nurses would rush to the thing. And there were some dings where it obviously wasn't a big ding because nobody would come. Thankfully, we never had one of those rush to you dings. We just had regular dings. I guess that's an okay ding because nobody's running around here. But we were just viewing all this equipment and all these, you know, computers as keeping our baby alive. And we were so excited that she was alive. We'd happily fling that over our shoulders and hold that baby and rock her. But when we show that video to other people, sometimes they couldn't take it. Like it would trip them up. What to us was the salvation of our child and these cords that meant that she was alive and she was going to be fine. To others, it was something that tripped them up in their faith to the point where like, wow, that's showing us that she's in dire straits. That's showing us that maybe she won't make it. I can't watch that video, Pastor. I'm sorry. It's too hard for me to watch. What causes us to view things so uniquely? Like I experienced something in such the positive realm and yet others would perceive it in such a negative realm. Like how does one person see the glass half empty and yet the other person seeing the same facts see the glass half full? 
If you're familiar with this kind of dichotomy, I think you're going to appreciate today's message. I think it might even be challenging to you at the same time. How is it that one person sees their problems as a trip up in their faith and other persons see their problems as simply ushering them to a God opportunity? Where does God call us to fix our eyes and what happens when we fail to do so? How can we find the positive in the midst of the challenges in our lives? And how can we avoid the negative? For that, we're going to be in your Bibles in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. I encourage you to open up your Bible right now. If you have your Bible app, please open that up as well and get there with us. We're going to be experimenting with something this fall. I'm just going to let you guys know about it. I'm going to warn you for several weeks, and then we're going to do it. And that is that we're going to be taking the verses off the screen. And the reason for that is because as a pastor, I want you in the word of God. I want you to bring your Bible if you have a physical one. If you don't have one, let us know. We'll give you one. And, uh, and then if you have your Bible on the app, great. Open it up and highlight. When I say to highlight or underline, I want you in that thing. When you, when you go to the doctor, he's going to say, you got to lose some weight. When you go to the dentist, says, brush your teeth. You know, go to the chiropractor, stretch and, and, you know, and, 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 and be limber. And when you go to your pastor, he's like, get in your Bible. That's what he's going to want. And so we're going to experiment with that this fall and see how it works. I'm not promising it'll be like this forever, but we're going to experiment with it and see what happens if we take the verses off the screens. Maybe we would be that much more intentional with our with the, with the word of God in our hands, and we think that'll change your life. So I'm going to be very intentional about this. First uh, Samuel chapter 17, verses 12 through 40. So if you're opening up your Bible right now, go to First Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be looking in total day verses 12 through 40 together. That's First Samuel 17, verses 12 through 40. Uh, overarching question today is, why is it that our faith gets tripped up when we hit challenges in our life? Why is it that our faith gets tripped up when we hit challenges in our life? When we hit the giant in our life, our faith often can get tripped up. Why does that happen? And the first reason we're going to see is because we fixate our eyes on the wrong thing. We fixate on our problems. It's kind of a natural tendency of human beings. We see the problem as a giant before us, and all we look at is that. Can't see around it, can't see above it, won't look underneath it. All I can see is what's in front of me, and I fixate on that. And that becomes problematic. And I want you to see that as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 12. Watch as I read. Watch along in your own uh, copy of the Word of God. Now David was a son of an Ephrodite uh, of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old, that's Jesse, advanced in years, and the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul into battle. The names of the three sons who went into battle were Eliab and uh, Eliab and uh, the firstborn. The next was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. And David was the youngest. You might circle that, highlight that underneath, uh, under, uh, uh, circle that, highlight, uh, underline it. That's very important, our storyline. And then the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came out. This is Goliath. And forward and took a stand morning and evening, and he would taunt the Israelites on the other side of the hill. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brother as an ephod of the parts grain and, a, and, and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp where your brothers are. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of, the ten, of their thousand and see that your brothers are well and bring back some token from them. 
Uh, verse 19, now Saul and, uh, and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning. He left uh, the sheep with a keeper and took provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and all the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of his keeper uh, 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 of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked to them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words that he is before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with the great riches and give him his very daughter and his father's house will be free in Israel. Let's stop right there. Why is it that our faith gets tripped up when we hit challenges in our life? The first thing that we see is because we fixate on our problems. We fixate on our problems. We can't see past our problems. And we're gonna see that uh, in what we just read. David and his older brothers are uh, on the scene in our storyline today. David's too young to go to battle. Uh, we know from the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 26, that you had to be 20 years old to be uh, of army age. And so we know David is younger than that because his oldest brothers are in battle and he's not in battle. He's in charge of the sheep, and he's going back and forth with provisions as his dad, his dad would direct him. Go feed your brothers, go feed his crew, go feed the, their lieutenant or whoever's over them. David's too young for the war. His brothers are not, and so they're in the war. And David would go with provisions and then receive back what be, would be classified as a token. Um, we believe that this battle was taking place in the vicinity of Judea and the hills of Judea. And so the Judean hills, the people who lived there would take responsibility over filling, feeding the troops that were there. And so there's a sense where Jesse is now obligated and responsible to feed the troops as they fight the war for them. And so he's saying, go take provisions to your brothers. Go take provisions to the commander of their unit. Report back about the well-being of your brothers and bring back a token. What is this token all about? A token would be proof that, that Jesse indeed did fulfill his obligation in feeding the troops and then at the same time would allow his sons to collect their rations because their father had uh, fulfilled his obligations. It was a little bit of a receipt of sorts. This would be the kind of thing where if, um, if at the end of the war, uh, Israel won the war and there were spoils and plunder of war, you would bring your receipt or your tokens and you would receive back from what you invested into the war. And so he's saying, go take care of your brothers, make sure they're well. And at the same time, collect those tokens so that if we win the war, we will be compensated for what we gave towards the war. And that's how uh, food and feeding of your troops was facilitated facilitated. Well, Israel um, has an interesting response to this giant who is coming out in the morning and the evening every night and basically just taunting. Here I am, we saw last week, just send me your best guy. 
Uh, uh, mano a mano, man to man, my best versus your best. We win, you serve us. You win, we serve you. Where is he? Every morning, every night, he's taunting. Come on, is there gonna be anybody today? And that's what's going on over and over again. And it actually says in verse 23 that they were dreadfully afraid. Anyway, it's in there. I can't find it. They were so afraid. The idea is they were dreadfully afraid of Goliath as he would taunt them. And they were afraid because they were fixated on the giant before them. They're afraid because all they can see is the problem before them. He's huge. He's big. And I'm just fixated on that. I can't see anything outside of that. The situation is so desperate that apparently King Saul is trying to motivate his troops by bribing them. If you uh, will take down this giant, I will give you a cash reward. I will give you a princess. My own daughter will be your wife. It was pretty common in ancient uh, Near East that political and social agreements were ratified through marital arrangements, uh, even giving your daughter in marriage. And so I'll give you a cash reward. I'll give you my very daughter. And your father's house will be tax exempt. In all of Israel, you won't have to pay any taxes. And you notice that he doesn't try to motivate them, doesn't attempt to motivate them by urging them to have confidence in the name of their God. He doesn't say, hey, have confidence in God who has this relationship with us where we have this agreement that if we follow him, he will protect and provide for us. Doesn't even mention that. I know what I'll do. I'll go after greed. If you will take down this giant for me then I will give you money, I'll give you my daughter, and you'll be tax exempt. Don't you wanna be a part of the king's household? Think of all the nice dinners you get to be a part of, and all you gotta do is take down this giant. Principle number one in our text today would be that when you stare, you can stare at your giant or you can stare at your God. It's all about perspective. And we're going to see in a second how David just flips that on a different perspective. You see a giant and you're dreadfully afraid and fearful of that giant. I see an opportunity for God to do something amazing in the midst of this problem. Principle number one, do you stare at your giant or do you stare at your God? Why is it that we uh, find ourselves getting tripped up when we have challenges in our life? Uh, well, the first reason is because we, we look at the wrong thing. We fixate on the wrong thing. We fixate on the problem. The second reason is because we fail to see the God opportunity in the midst of the problem. Yes, I have a giant in front of me. That's not going away. But there's a God opportunity somewhere in the midst of this. Somehow, some way, God can do something amazing where he'll get glory out of this. And so I can fixate on what's before me that I can't see above or around or beneath, or I can know in my heart of hearts and in my mind's eye that God is sovereign and he knows exactly what he's doing. And in that sovereignty, there's a God opportunity in this some way, somewhere, somehow, and I will concentrate my mind on it rather than allowing my eyes get defeated by how big that giant is. I want you to see this uh, in verses 26 through 40. Follow along as I read. It says this, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You might highlight that, underline that, circle that, that's important. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine 
that he should defy the armies of the living God. He's not just defying Israel. He's defying the armies of the living God. Circle that, highlight that, underline that. And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. And then, now Elab, his brother, his oldest brother, heard that he had spoke to the man, and Elab's anger kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those sheep within the wilderness? I know your presumption of the evil in your heart. You have come down to see a battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not a word that I said? And he turned from him and towards another, and he spoke the same way, and the people answered him again as before. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let's not, uh, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. It's almost comedy in the text as a teenager. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine and fight for him, for you are a youth, or you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when the lion came or the bear and took a lamb from the flock, he went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine, there it is again, shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. There it is again. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you got it. All right, you win. Go and let the Lord be with you. In verse 38, then Saul clothed David with his arm and he put his helmet of bronze on his head and he clothed him with the cloak of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried to move in vain, but he had not tested it. And then David said, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested it. I've never fought with these things on. It's not going to fit me. And so David put them off, and he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in his shepherd's pouch. And a sling that was in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Why is it that we find that our faith gets tripped up when we hit challenges in our lives? Well, because we fail to see the God opportunity in those challenges. We fail to see how God might get glory in the midst of that challenge. All we're doing is fixating our eyes on the challenge, the giant before us, and we forget the God behind the giant who is sovereign over every giant because we fail to see the God opportunity. David speaks up as he's going and just delivering goods to his brothers. It's his dad's obligation. He does that, and he hears the, the giant screaming out, and he sees that as defying God, not just defying Israel. It's bigger than that. This guy is saying things against our God. And so he's starting to talk about that, but he's a teenager. He's an adolescent. There's... Men of war, experienced, of war, experienced in war, lined up against the Philistines, not moving, in fact, stifled in fear, running away when they hear this guy talk, and you got this teenage kid saying, I'll do it, send me. And I want you to notice the difference in the terminology that David uses to describe the situation versus how Israel or the men of Israel were describing the situation. 
where the men of Israel would say, this man, they're talking about the giant, Goliath. David would call him an uncircumcised Philistine. Now, that's just not a racial slur. He's not just saying, you know, he's one of those, you know, racist against those people. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, quite theologically, we have a relationship with God. We have a promise from God that we are his people, and if we follow and obey him, he'll perfect, protect and provide. That's the Mosaic Covenant. We are under a relationship between God that he is not. This is a spiritual issue. He's defying God, and we are of a covenant that says God will protect us. Why are we just standing here? This is a spiritual thing. This is a God thing. I'm not going to sit here and watch this guy taunt our God. He's not taunting us. He's taunting our God. And so you can see from the outset that he, he filters everything he sees. Sure, there's a giant there, but there's a bigger picture around all this. God's involved here. Secondly, where the men of Israel would say, surely he has come to defy Israel. David would say he's defying the armies of the living God. It's not about our army. It's about God's angelic army. He's just filtering through something else, another grid that no one else is seeing, and that's why they're so scared of the situation because they're not filtering through an eternal grid. They're filtering through a temporary, temporal grid. All I see is a giant. He goes, all I see is God in this situation, which means there's an opportunity because our God's bigger than any other God in the world. Where Israel said, this, uh, what will be done for the man who kills him David says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Again, uh, taking the situation and appropriately placing it under the right understanding. He is a Philistine. He does not have the promises of God. And so in three different ways, he's going out of his way to say, this is how I view it. And everybody else is viewing it in a way that he is not registering. He refuses to view the situation without a lens towards God in the midst of it. It is all about perspective. All about perspective. Is my perspective just to stare at the giant that's before me? Or is my perspective to say, God is bigger than all this. And whether he rescues me on this side of heaven on earth here, then he'll get glory, praise Jesus. Or whether he rescues me on the other side of heaven when I'm there, then praise Jesus, he'll get glory as well. But my God will rescue me. We just sing a song. I know how the story ends. I know how the story ends. Why is that so helpful? Why is that so encouraging? Because no matter what happens to me here, I'm going to be spending eternity somewhere else where that can't, stuff can't happen anymore. No more tears, no more pain, no more shame. It's all taken care of. I know how the story ends. Well, his own brother takes offense to what David is saying. It's viewed as youthful, you know, exuberance, cockiness, whatever you might call it. And his own brother tells him to basically shut up. And I want you to see the negative messages that the brother uses. Because there are negative messages that we hear all the time when we're trying to do something for the glory of God. There are messages the enemy will send us through sometimes people who we love. When you're trying to do something for the kingdom and glory of God, you might hear negative messages, and I want you to hear what these negative messages were. Number one, you're worthless and insignificant. Really, you, David? You're over there herding sheep. Where are the sheep that you were herding? Come on, you're gonna come over here and lecture us about God and this giant when you're over there with sheep? 
you're nothing. Secondly, your motivation is off. You're just proud, man. You just think you know everything. You're a snot-nosed little teenager who thinks you know everything. Number four, you're just trying to incite a battle because you want to view a fight for your own entertainment. That's why you're here. Lastly, you're disrupting the status quo. And those of us who are here who are dreadfully afraid don't like what you're insinuating because you might be right. Negative messages. Let me tell you something. When you want to do the will of God in your life, you need to know that there will be opposition. And you need to expect it. There will be people, some of the kindest, nicest, maybe your own family members, who will try to convince you out of it. And yet, you need to stand and remember, no, I want to do this for the glory of God. And if anything happens and goes sideways, that's okay, because I'm, my motivation in this is to do this for the glory of God. Well, regardless of this little interaction with his brother, he still pleads, please let me fight this giant. I see a God opportunity in this situation. Please let me fight the giant. And he goes and he goes into like a treatise of why Saul should let him go. Let's go back to verse 31 and we'll look at this together. We'll reread it together. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart be troubled or, or, or fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And Saul said to him, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. You're a teenager. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when the lion came or the bear and took a lamb from the flock, he went after him and, and struck him and delivered him from his mouth. And if he rose up against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. And your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, well, I stand arrested on that one. I don't know what to do with that. I guess if you can kill a lion and kill a bear. Have anybody ever wrestled with a lion or a bear? Don't try it. I don't think you're going to win. And, uh, and so he says, fine. I guess I'll let you. 40 days he's been waiting for somebody. Will somebody step up on this army line? Will somebody step up and want to take on that giant? And by the way, 40 days he was hoping that somebody would take on his battle. Remember how I talked about this last week? Who was the tallest and strongest in all of Israel? Saul. So if it was mano a mano, man a man, give me your biggest and best, give me your biggest and best, it should have been Saul going out there and fighting. He doesn't want that fight. 40 days I've been wanting somebody. Will somebody take this off my hands? In fact, if you do, I'll give you my daughter. I'll give you money. I, your, your, your family will never pay taxes. 40 days he's been looking for somebody to rescue from his own battle in a fit of irony. It's a young shepherd boy. He says he'll do it. Not even old enough to join the army. <laughs> and the boy goes, hey, don't lose heart. Calm down, everybody. I got this. Calm down. 14 years old, I can handle this guy. I'll take care of it. And basically, Saul says, man, this guy's been fighting wars longer than you've been alive. How are you possibly going to do this? Is this a cruel joke? And David says, no. And the tale of the tape would seem to indicate that there's no way he could win the battle. But in the tale of God's tape would indicate that there's no way he could lose. 
found a way to beat a lion. He found a way to beat a bear. So this ain't nothing. Please let me take on this giant. It's interesting. Sometimes the darkest challenges of your path, when you dealt with these things, for David, it was the bear, the challenge of the bear, the challenge of the lion. Sometimes those challenges are there to prepare you for whatever God has you to do in the future. I've got a God-destined path for you that only you can do, and so I've allowed these challenges in the past that you've looked at and go, God, why did you allow this, and why is this okay? Where are you? I'm preparing you for something else you're gonna do over here. And I'm, if you'll just acknowledge me and fixate on me and remember that I'm the one who knows all things, all details, you'll know that that challenge was there for you so that you could be prepared for this other challenge that you can only be the one who is suited to do. Well, um, David says, the God who rescued me is the God who will rescue me. The God of the past who rescued me there is a God who will rescue me in the future. I have 100% reliance on him. I have a God-glorifying destiny, not a David Hurtado-glorifying destiny, not implant name destiny, no, a God-glorifying destiny. And when I have that, I can be assured that the giant means nothing. God is bigger than whatever the giant is. Saul sends David into battle, but not with his equipment. A great irony here again, it was Saul's battle rather than fight it. He would rather send his equipment with a young man who doesn't even fit his equipment. David tries it on, can't move. I can't, I can't fight in this. I don't, I'm not used to this. I didn't practice in this. Uh, interestingly enough, had he gone out into battle with that equipment, everybody might have thought, there goes the king. And maybe that would have suited Saul in a certain way, but David says, no, this is not going to work. I'm throwing the equipment aside. I don't need all this battle uh, defense equipment. I'm just going to take five stones, uh, two to three inches in diameter. Think tennis ball size. I'm going to take five stones and a sling. Why the five stones? Somebody asked me last week, why the five stones? There's only one giant, Goliath. Why five stones? According to Second uh, um, uh, Samuel, in chapter 21, we see that Goliath had either four other brothers or four other family members who were giants as well. And so most think that he actually grabbed four other stones in case after he killed Goliath, four others came out of him, he could sling him again. He could, sling, he could go after him again. So, so here he is saying, I'll just take five stones and a sling. Now, you know what? We make the mistake. We think, oh yeah, I used to do a slingshot in my backyard and try to hit birds. I would never do that. Can you imagine your pastor doing that? And so, you know, that, that's what we think of when we think of a sling of David and Goliath's sling, right? No, no, no it's not like that. Uh, this would be like two cords and a leather pouch at the bottom. The rock would go in there. You would go, do this motion, almost like you're doing roping. Curtis isn't here today, but he's a roper. You do this motion, and then you would let go one of the cords. And when you let go one of the cords, the rock would fling out. Interestingly enough, it is said in Judges chapter 20 and verse 16 that the Benjaminites were known to be deadly accurate with their slings. This is not like a toy. This is a real war weapon. In fact, it is said that they could, they could hit their target within a hair's breadth of whatever it was. Think about that, a hair's breadth. Whatever it is, I can hit it with my sling. Such accuracy, it would leave the sling at 100 and 150 miles an hour. Now imagine when we talked about last week how Goliath is fitted head to toe with armor. 
Remember that? He had like scales of metal all over his body, his knees, his ankles, his, his, his shins. Everything's covered except for one thing. He has to be able to see. He has a helmet on, but if you hit him straight in the face, that's the only thing that's exposed. It's an unbelievable weapon with deadly accuracy, and the guy's biggest weakness is wide open for you. It's not just a slouch of a weapon. It was a real war weapon. And David says, you know, I'm not going to need your battle gear. I'll just take my sling and some rocks, and God will deliver me. I want you to imagine this. There is thousands of troops. All of them are war experienced. They've had blood on their hands. And when the giant comes out and taunts them, everybody runs. And there's this adolescent kid who says, I'll do it. Just give me my sling, give me a couple rocks, I'll do it. I don't even need any. Not that I'm overly confident, but I just can't even wear that stuff. It doesn't fit me. I'll just take a rock, a sling, and my God with me. Which brings me to the big idea. Where some see a giant they can't beat, others see a giant they can't miss. Where some see a giant that they can't beat, it's too big, there's no way, how could I beat that giant? Others see a giant that they can't miss, look how big he is, <laughs> impossible to miss him. I can hit him in the right between that, there's no way I'll miss. Some see a giant they can't beat, others see a giant that they can't miss. It's back to that glass half full, glass half empty, positive, negative, which one is it? Is this a positive situation, this giant's before me, or is this a negative situation, this giant's before me? And it's all about perspective. How do I view God in the midst of this challenge? If I view God as sovereign, I'm gonna find some way of a God opportunity in the midst of this whether it's a health scare, whether it's a divorce, whether it's my child going sideways, whether it's the business floundering, whether it's whatever it might be, there's an opportunity for God to be glorified in it. Or I can view it as a giant that can't be beat. But David chose to view it as a giant that he cannot miss. Some see the cords in the NICU as salvation and some see it as an indication of dire straits. But some see a giant that can't be beat and others see a giant that can't, they can't miss. Here's the honest question for you. How do you see things? When you come upon the challenge in your life, how do you view it? You start questioning God because of the challenge? Oh, God must not be there because all of a sudden this thing is here. And so this thing obviously shows there's no God. Or do you view the challenge as like, no, I think God wants to get glory in the midst of this challenge. And instead of staring and fixating at the challenge, I'm gonna assume there's something else that God wants to do. And he's gonna get glory out of it and there's an opportunity in the midst of it. Where some see a giant they can't beat, others see a giant that they can't miss. Let me see if I can illustrate how this might work out in real life if you endeavor to glorify God with your life. It's about 20 years ago now that I was invited to speak at a camp. It was actually in LA area. I was living in the San Francisco Bay area. 
at the time. And, um, and uh, they, you know, said, we'll fly you out. I was in a seminary class, and one of the guys in the seminary said, hey, I'm doing this camp. I'd love for you to speak for our denomination. I've done a lot of denominational speaking before, and, and usually what happens at denominational camps, whatever, the, the denomination, they're usually united by certain core truths or certain core um, traditions. This is why the Lutherans will act like, you know, by and large, they'll all act the same way. This is why Presbyterians will all act the same way. This is why your Assembly of God folks will all act the same way, because they're united by certain traditions or, or, or certain theological views. Well, this was different than I ever seen before because this camp was a camp of folks that were more uh, kind of bonded by ethnicity more than theology. It was so interesting. And so their ethnicity brought them together, even though this church believed in Jesus, this church didn't believe the Bible, this church, and they just, there's a hodgepodge of what they believe, but what brought them together is they were all the same ethnic background. And they didn't let the doctrine that they disagree with each other stop them from being together and interacting with each other. Very, very interesting. I've never experienced anything like it. So I could be talking to a, a, a group that came from a church that believes the Bible is the word of God and they value the word of God. And, then, and a group that believe that Jesus actually walked on earth. And then the other group that, no, we don't even believe he walked on earth. I mean, it was just a very, very interesting hodgepodge of people. But I always say people are people everywhere. The gospels are gospels everywhere. And so we can do anything anywhere the Bible's the Bible everywhere. So we, I'm sure I'll take on that challenge. And so we're at this camp and it's the third night of winter camp. It's in Fraser Park in LA. There's snow all around us. It's cold. It's the third night. You're at winter camp. You're thinking it's decision time. Everybody who's been to camp knows that third night, it's decision night. It's number three. It's a holy number. That's funny. Anyway, so it's coming to decision night. About an hour before the, the session, I have all the leaders, about 20, 25 of them, something like that. They're all like second, third generation folks. They're all well-learned, lawyers, doctors, nurses, everybody with like a, a, like a high caliber career track. I mean, they're still in their doctor's clothes. And, and I'm telling them, all right, great. I need you guys here tonight. Uh, I'm gonna have the kids come forward. There's gonna be a lot of repentance tonight. They're gonna be dealing with their sin. I need you to pray over everyone. I want everybody tonight to be prayed over. I, want, I don't want one kid who comes forward to not be prayed over. And once I explain all this to them, you would think like a, like, a, like a train crashed or like a plane crashed in the mountains. Like you saw their faces. And I was like, all right, I must have touched on a nerve. Somebody explaining what's going on, different culture. And they said to me, David, um, we come from a culture, good, bad, or indifferent. It is not the culture you're used to. Culturally speaking, we don't value transparency. We don't value vulnerability. I remember the 28-year-old doctor saying, our parents, when they get divorced, they don't go to the pastor and get counseling before they get divorced. They just come the week after it's finalized and say, pastor, we want you to know that this has been finalized. Like they never interact. They never live life together. They never, they never walk together. They just, they just announce when things are done. The cook, I remember him, he was in his 60s. He, he said, we are a proud people in his little accent. And, and he says, uh, don't ask them to come forward. Just ask them to raise their hand. Don't ask them to come forward. They won't come forward. Nobody will come forward. And as I'm sitting there an hour before this thing, everybody's saying, don't do this. Don't do this. It's not going to work for us. Consensus, don't do it. It will not work. No one will come forward. But you have to understand where some people see a giant they can't beat. Others see a giant that God can't miss. I've never been more intimidated in my life to give an altar call at camp. 
I mean, it's like, that's what you do at camp, right? It's like, that's what, what happens at camp. It's so scared of my mind. I, I, I go back to my cabin, I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I call my wife. Would you be please be praying for the next hour? I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I remember Paul prayed for boldness, and man, I needed it. And Lord, what do you want me to do? My concern was that these kids had learned a cultural value that's wrong. Their parents had taught them wrong. That it's okay to live a life devoid of transparency and vulnerability, that you don't walk life with anybody in this faith, that you can live a genuine Christian life without it. That night I got up to preach and uh, I still didn't know what I was gonna do, but I sensed the whole weekend that the Spirit of God was working in the students. And I got to the end and all the staff, you can imagine looking with wide eyes, is he gonna do it, is he not gonna do it, is he gonna do it, is he not gonna do it, what is he gonna do? And I said to the students, so I hear that your culture doesn't value transparency and vulnerability. I hear that I shouldn't expect much from your response. Many have told me that I shouldn't even insist on you coming forward. You're a proud people, you don't get vulnerable. And I said, I'm sorry, but your parents have taught you incorrectly. They've taught you wrong. The Bible says to confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. That requires community, that you would come together and confess together and that you would be healed because of that interaction. And so I said, I'm gonna make it easy on you. Um, I'm gonna ask you to come forward, but only come forward if you're willing to talk about it with a leader, because there'll be a leader here to talk to you and pray with you. Don't come forward if you're not gonna say what you're dealing with. If you're smoking dope, you're gonna tell them. If you're having sex with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you're gonna tell them. Whatever it might be, you're gonna tell them. Don't come forward if you're not gonna do that. Number two, when we leave tonight, you can go back to your cabins. You're gonna tell your entire cabin what you're dealing with. And for the first time in your life, you're gonna have some people walk with you, walking towards Jesus together. Don't come forward if you're not willing to tell your counselor and don't come forward if you're not willing to go to your cabin and tell them. I go number three, I'm gonna give you an out. If you just stay in your seat, we're all gonna assume on my authority that you're doing just fine with Jesus. Just sit there, man. Just sit there. I dare you to sit there and not move. Nobody will assume a thing. But if you come forward, it says you wanna deal with God. I said, I'm gonna count to three, and then whoever wants to do business with Jesus can come forward and do business with Jesus. I said, one. I said two, and as I said one and two, the confidence left me, the boldness left me, and I looked down and go, Lord Jesus, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I don't even know if this is the right thing. And I said three, and like two thirds of them came forward, weeping. I'll never forget a girl who was kneeling right there, crying her eyes out saying, I tried to stop him, but he wouldn't let me, he was too big. And she was gonna go through the rest of her life by herself on that one. I've got all the counselors, come pray with everybody. I don't want anybody leaving tonight without getting prayed over. It's the most powerful thing I've ever been a part of. You see, some people see a giant they can't beat and others see a giant that God can't miss. And I wanna encourage you today, if you have a dream where God would end up getting the glory in the end, don't give up on it. Don't let the enemy convince you that the giant is too big. Fixate your eyes on God and not the giant because some see a giant that can't be beat, and others see a giant that God can't miss. That's what you want. And that's what you wanna go down 
You want to go down hoping for those moments. I thank God that he conquered the greatest giant of all called sin that separates us from God through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. We call that the gospel. And through Jesus Christ, we have access to this God who is the giant slayer. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Father, we don't want to slay giants. We just want you to slay giants in our midst. I don't want to be all about me. Look at me. I can sling this thing. No, I want to show how God is still big, still powerful, and still moves. Would you use me in those endeavors? Let's let you be the giant slayer. We'll give you all the glory for it. And we'll sit back and enjoy that our God is still big and still strong. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. We serve a God of the impossible, amen? There's so many things that we think are completely impossible, but we are able to communicate with a God that can make anything possible. Maybe today you even want to do business with Jesus. So I want to be able to offer you an opportunity to have prayer as well. So after our send-off, if we could have some of our prayer warriors just come up to the front, and some of our pastors, we'd be happy to pray with you as you do business with Jesus and walk this journey with you. We're going to continue in our time of worship as we give back a portion of what he has already given to us. And there's a couple ways to give. We'll put those on the screen. There's uh, an offering thing in the lobby. I don't know what it a box, it looks like a mailbox, like an old school mailbox. You can drop something in there. There's a way to give online at camcc.net slash give, uh, or there's also a QR code that you can do that as well. We're so glad you're here. Um, check out what's coming up at CamCC. CamCC. I'm Jacob Salas, the middle school pastor. I'm glad you're here with us today. If you're looking for a place to serve, please reach out to me because we would love to get more people investing in the next generation. If today is your first time with us, we're so glad you're here. If it's your second time, we're blessed to have you back. If you're a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you have to do is grab a connection card, fill it out, both sides and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby or scan the QR code with your phone's camera and let the welcome counter know that you filled it out digitally. You can also put your prayer request on this card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know at the welcome counter and grab a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. There are many, many great things coming up at CamCC. Be thinking about who you will invite. September, growth groups are here. Only an eight-week commitment, childcare is available, and believe me, you will love meeting other great people from CamCC and doing life together. Give it a try. They kick off the week of September 17th. Last day to sign up is September 13th. For more info, email lisa at camcc.net or go to camcc.net slash groups. Pathways class, take your spiritual journey to the next level. 
Led by our team of staff and elders, learn more about Camp CC and be provided tools to deepen your relationship with God. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today at the growth group table or email Jim Moyer at campcc.net. September 24th, baptisms. We will be having baptisms for both worship gatherings. If you would like to take the next step in your faith, sign up to get baptized. Mark your connection card, baptism, or go to campcc.net slash next steps and Pastor Darrell will get in touch with you or answer any questions you might have. This is a powerful way of putting your faith into action, a true outward expression for an inward change. For more info, contact Daryl at camcc.net. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. Sunday, October 8th, Ryan Stevenson in concert, 7 p.m. CamCC welcomes double award-winning and billboard charting artist Ryan Stevenson. I'm sure you recognize his songs from the radio or Spotify playlist. Tickets available on our website or skip the fees and purchase them in the lobby. Or if you want to serve, email katie at camcc.net. October 20th through the 22nd, Women's Retreat. Ladies, time is running out to sign up for the Women's Retreat held at Mount Crags in Calabasas. To register, go to camcc.net slash women. And for more info, contact Allison at camcc.net. Tuesday, October 31st, Trunk or Treat, 6 to 8 p.m. This is going to be awesome. We want you to invite your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers to join us for a night of huge and rad trunks, a dance party, family photos, a candy cannon, and tons and tons of candy. We need trunks and volunteers. We want to fill out the parking lot with trunks. If you have a growth group, come serve and hang out at Trunk or Treat. This is a night you will not want to miss. Contact Sam at camcc.net for more info. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. Hi everyone, my name is Christine Benson, and I'm part of the YA community here at CamCC. Something I got out of the message was, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus so he can get the glory. Please be praying about somebody who you would like to invite next week. Please hang out with us in the patio for some coffee and donuts. Thank you. See you all next week.